Welcome to the Recent Speeches podcast presented by BYU Speeches, featuring inspiring new devotionals and forums given each week on BYU campus. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. Welcome to a new year and a new semester. I join Peggy in, in welcoming you back for this new semester that we're in. It really is good to see you back here after what I hope has been a rejuvenating break for each of you. Now, with the new COVID variant rapidly spreading, let me begin by urging you once again to get vaccinated and to follow all university and government health guidelines, including masking requirements. That is the best thing we can do to ensure that we can continue the semester without major disruption. Please consider the impact of your actions on the entire community and help make this semester a success for everyone. Now, as we begin this new semester, I would like to visit with you about a character trait that, if adopted and refined, will change your life dramatically. It will aid you in your academic work. It will enhance your social relationships, and it will better prepare you for future leadership roles. Pretty powerful stuff. More importantly, it will help you enter and remain on the covenant path that leads to the fulfillment of your eternal destiny as children of heavenly parents. What is that remarkable trait? Humility. That answer may surprise some of you. Humility is one of the most underappreciated virtues in contemporary society, which devotes so much attention to self-promotion. Yet over the past two decades, there has been a significant increase in scholarly research about the positive impact humility has on people's ability to learn, lead, and relate to others. For example, in a 2015 journal article, researchers at Duke University described an experiment that demonstrated the connection between intellectual humility and recognition memory. As described by best-selling author Ashley Merriman, during the experiment, everyone involved in the study completed three tasks. First, they read a list of 40 statements on a range of controversial topics, everything from the military's use of drone strikes, common core curricula in schools, and same-sex marriage. Second, they took a survey measuring how familiar they were with topics such as Susan B. Anthony or Mount Rushmore. Though there was a catch with this second task, some of the topics on the list were bogus, made up. For example, there was a fictitious Hamrick's Rebellion. Didn't happen. Finally, participants read another list of 60 statements, some of which were on the first list. They were to determine which statements were on the first list and which ones were new. The results were telling. The intellectually humble took longer to read the first controversial statements, especially if the information ran counter to their beliefs. But at the experiment's end, they were better at identifying new statements. Meanwhile, the intellectually arrogant skimmed through the reading. They were less accurate at, at identifying new statements, and the intellectually arrogant were more susceptible to the fake news items. In short, the humble were better at both identifying false information and remembering things they had learned before, skills that are very helpful in an academic setting. Other studies have identified additional ways in which humility aids in the learning process. As Merriman noted, Researchers observed that the intellectually humble have a constant desire to learn and improve. They embrace ambiguity and the unknown. 
They like getting new information. They even enjoy finding out when they're wrong and when in trouble, they're more willing to accept help. As a result, humble college students have been found to be higher in academic achievement. They improved more over the course of a semester and they got better grades. While the proud may garner more worldly attention, the humble do better academically. Those who are humble also have an advantage in social relationships. According to one study, those who are humble are rated as more attractive date potential. Now I have your attention, right? (laughs) The humble also have lower rates of infidelity, and because they're willing to address their shortcomings, their partners are more forgiving and understanding, which leads to longer relationships. In other words, humility leads to more productive, long-lasting social relationships. And there is extensive research, led in no small part by BYU professor Bradley Owens, indicating that humble leadership in a variety of endeavors, from the military to manufacturing to ministry, leads to better organizational outcomes. Humility can therefore help us develop academic, social, and leadership skills that will aid us now and into the future. But what is humility, and how do we develop it? While the exact definition of humility in the academic literature varies somewhat from study to study, most focus on a set of characteristics that describe human people, humble people. Many such descriptions can be traced to June Tagney's list of six central features of humility. Number one, an accurate assessment of oneself. Number two, acknowledgement of one's mistakes and limitations. Number three, openness to other viewpoints and ideas. Number four, keeping one's accomplishments and abilities in perspective. Number five, low self-focus. And number six, appreciating the value of all things, including other people. Note that the first characteristic, accurate assessment of oneself, does not mean that the humble are lacking in skills, intellect, or talent. True humility does not imply lack of ability. In fact, if there is any correlation between the two, it runs in the opposite direction. As Elder D. Todd Christofferson once observed, those who have cultivated their capacities of mind and spirit, who have developed an uncommonly large store of knowledge and wisdom, are typically the most humble of men and women. Close quote. Moreover, contrary to common misunderstanding, humility does not mean we should degrade or underestimate our abilities. If we undervalue our abilities and gifts, we will not be humble because we will not be accurately assessing ourselves, which is the first characteristic of humility. As Professor Brent Webb explained in a talk given when serving as BYU's academic vice president, true humility is intelligent self-respect, which keeps us from thinking too highly or too meanly of ourselves. The meek, he said, are capable of inspecting themselves objectively and are willing to do so, unafraid of what they will discover. Most of us are happy to recognize and have others recognize our own strengths. It takes the truly meek to look inside and seek to openly characterize where we are. That kind of intellectual and personal honesty, coupled with the other characteristics of humility, can greatly enhance our academic success by leading us to new discoveries and insights. And as already noted, they also lead to better social relationships and leadership outcomes. Humility is therefore critical to individual success. But it is also of great relevance and need in our current institutional setting. 
As I hope all of you know, one of our current goals and challenges is to create an environment of belonging in which our hearts are knit together in love and in which we all feel part of the community. In essence, we are trying to create Zion, or at least a Zion-like society. And one of the primary obstacles to achieving that lofty yet attainable goal is the contention that is so much a part of daily life in the world around us. In his classic talk more than 30 years ago, President Ezra Taft Benson powerfully taught that pride is both the principal barrier to building a Zion society and the principal cause of contention. Pride, he said, is the greatest stumbling block to Zion. And then to make sure we noted the emphasis, he said, I repeat, pride is the great stumbling block to Zion. He also tied pride to contention, noting, quote, Another face of pride is contention. Arguments, fights, unrighteous dominion, generation gaps, divorces, spouse abuse, riots, and disturbances all fall into this category of pride. Close quote. Having identified pride as the root cause of both contention and the failure to establish Zion, President Benson identified the root solution. The antidote for pride, he said, is humility. Last April, Elder Bednar encouraged university leaders to, quote, be unique and striking at the root of important and timely issues by focusing on the spiritual and practical substance of solutions and not just on superficial symbolism, close quote. I believe we can begin to fulfill that charge by individually and collectively working to develop and apply the qualities of Christ-like humility. Doing so will help us eliminate the pride that is the root cause of contention and the primary barrier to establishing a Zion-like campus community. But there is something more at stake with humility than just success in our academic, social, and career endeavors, or even more than in providing fundamental insight and direction on the important challenges we currently face on campus. In the long run, our individual eternal destiny depends on our humility. Christ taught that those who humble themselves shall be exalted. And he promised that he would make weak things become strong unto them, that he would give them answer to their prayers, and that inasmuch as they are humble, they might be made strong and blessed from on high and receive knowledge from time to time. In short, as Elder Neil A. Maxwell once observed, our humility and teachability are premier determinants of our progress and our happiness. With that understanding, one can begin to see the truth in the quote often attributed to St. Augustine, that humility is the foundation of all the other virtues. With that more complete understanding of the eternal importance and benefits of humility, it is striking to me that the six characteristics of humility often listed in the academic literature are given deeper meaning meaning when viewed through the lens of gospel truths. For example, From a gospel perspective, the humility that manifests itself by accurately assessing ourselves will not only help us identify our weaknesses, it will also help us understand our divine potential. This understanding, along with the promised help of the Savior, gives us confidence that we can overcome those weaknesses. Thus, rather than injuring our self-image, humility, in the words of one scholar, lifts us up from despair to a proper understanding of our own worth. Similarly, when the humble attitude that causes us to acknowledge our own mistakes and limitations is viewed in the light of gospel truths, it functions as a key component of the repentance process on which our ultimate exaltation is dependent. 
In the same vein, when viewed from a gospel perspective, being open to other viewpoints and ideas includes openness to insights that come through divine revelation. As the Lord instructs in Doctrine and Covenants section 136, verses 32 and 33, let him that is ignorant learn wisdom by humbling himself and calling upon the Lord. For my spirit is sent forth into the world, he said, to enlighten the humble and contrite. The humility that is evidenced by keeping one's accomplishments and abilities in perspectives likewise takes on deeper meaning when added to the gospel truths that we are dependent on the Lord for all our accomplishments and that mortality is just one phase of our eternal existence. This in turn not only increases our humility, but also reveals such humility as the key to accomplishing mighty miracles as we enlist the help of the Lord in our righteous endeavors. Finally, the low self-focus and the appreciation for the value of other things, especially other people, that characterize humility in academic literature also link humility to gospel truths. By focusing less on ourselves and more on others, we will experience the refining and exalting power of service. And appreciating the value of other people will help us understand and keep the second great commandment to love others, each of whom are also beloved children of God. The key determinative role of humility in our eternal progress is evidenced by the fact that God will at times humble us, hoping that the experience will cause us to change. But in the, long, in the long run, the result is up to us. We must choose for ourselves to be humble. Among the many scriptures dealing with humility, there is a subset that describes times and ways in which people humble themselves. It is when we voluntarily submit our will to his, when we choose to humble ourselves, that God can turn the temporal kind of humility which academic scholars have examined into an eternal transformational attribute that becomes part of our permanent nature. In this and in all things, Christ provided the perfect example. In explaining why Jesus chose to be baptized, Nephi explained that notwithstanding he being holy, he showeth unto the children of men that according to the flesh, he humbleth himself before the Father and witnesseth unto the Father that he would be obedient unto him in keeping his commandments. This was not an isolated event in the life of the Savior. Throughout his mortal ministry, Christ made clear that it was his Father's will, not his own, that governed his actions. In the Gospel of John alone, there are at least nine instances in which Jesus clearly taught his disciples that, despite his omnipotence, he had come not to do his own will or to promote his own glory, but that of his Father. Indeed, the very setting of Christ's birth and mortal ministry evidenced his choice to humble himself. As one summary of Augustine's teachings put it, although he was equal to the Father, Christ did not come as a powerful ruler or hero. He was born in a stable, in an obscure village. His parents were unknown and undistinguished people of low social standing. He slept in a feeding trough. It was Christ's choice to humble himself for our sake by coming to earth that the angel described to Nephi as the condescension of God. Our conscious choice to humble ourselves by submitting our will to God is the essence of true humility. In fact, willingness to submit to God's will, to let God prevail, to use President Nelson's wonderful phrase, is the single best definition of what true humility is. Our choice to let God prevail in our life both evidences and produces the exalting power of true humility. 
Developing and practicing that kind of humility takes great courage and strength because it requires us to surrender to God the one thing that is truly, uniquely our own, our will. It takes what one Navy SEAL commander called having, quote, a backbone of humility. Such acts of strength and courage are often overlooked in part because they can be misunderstood as acts of weakness when judged by the world's standards. I learned this in a powerful way when serving as a young missionary in the Mexican town of Ciudad Acuna, which is located just across the border from Del Rio, Texas. At the time, we did not have a chapel in Acuna. So we were given permission to cross the border into Del Rio, where there was a chapel with a baptismal font, to perform our baptisms. As near as I could tell, there was no formal arrangements for such border crossings. The U.S. missionaries had visas which permitted us to cross back and forth, but those who were to be baptized often did not. In what was clearly a different immigration era than now, we simply vouched for those individuals and the border officials took note to make sure the same people returned after the baptisms were performed. On one such occasion, after enthusiastically accepting our invitation to be baptized, the Hernandez family, a young husband and wife, accompanied us to the border crossing. The officials took down their names and we proceeded to the chapel. All was going well until we opened the door to the closet where the baptismal clothing was stored. There were a fair number of choices for men's clothing, but Brother Hernandez was a large man. After several attempts to put on the largest pants that were there, it became clear there was nothing even close to a fit among the choices. I began to panic a bit. The border guards had let the Hernandezes cross without papers so they could be baptized, but I doubted that they were, would accept that justification more than once. I didn't know what to do. Suddenly, Brother Hernandez pointed to the closet containing the women's baptismal clothing and asked, what about that? He was pointing to a large white women's baptismal gown on the bottom shelf. Not knowing what else to do, I said, let's try it. He and I then retired to the dressing room where I put on my baptismal clothes. I couldn't restrain myself from watching out of the corner of my eye to see how things were going with Brother Hernandez. He was struggling mightily to get into the dress, wiggling first this way and then that while tugging on the dress to pull it down. At that point, I thought to myself, Brother Hernandez, if you only knew how silly you looked, you would be embarrassed. And you would probably just call off the baptism. Immediately, a clear voice that was not my own came into my mind. It said, he knows exactly how silly he looks and he does not care. He knows God wants him to be baptized and he is determined to do that no matter how silly he looks to others. You should be embarrassed that you don't recognize what true courage looks like. Now, I've read of dramatic demonstrations of courage, like Parley P. Pratt's account of the prophet Joseph Smith rebuking the guards in the Richmond jail. But none has had more impression on me than the courage and strength of a humble disciple of Christ that I witnessed that night. Brother Hernandez chose to humble himself, to let God prevail, and he was determined to do what God wanted, no matter what the cost. He demonstrated a backbone of, of humility that continues to inspire me today, 40 years later. So how do we develop this kind of backbone of humility? 
It is by coming to understand humility more deeply and more accurately, and then choosing to humble ourselves by striving to understand and follow God's will for us. In his talk, President Benson gave some specific examples of how this can happen. Listen to see if any of them apply to you. He said, we can choose to humble ourselves by conquering enmity toward our brothers and sisters, esteeming them as ourselves and lifting them as high or higher than we are. We can choose to humble ourselves by receiving counsel and chastisement. We can choose to humble ourselves by forgiving those who have offended us. We can choose to humble ourselves by rendering selfless service. We can choose to humble ourselves by going on missions and preaching the word that can humble others. We can choose to humble ourselves by getting to the temple more frequently. We can choose to humble ourselves by confessing and forsaking our sins and being born of God. We can choose to humble ourselves by loving God, submitting our will to his and putting him first in our lives. May I add one more, drawing on the words of our current prophet. We can choose to humble ourselves by consistently and consciously responding to President Nelson's urgent plea to make time for the Lord each and every day. As President Nelson explained, it takes both faith and courage to let God prevail. It takes consistent daily effort to develop personal habits, to study the gospel, to learn more about Jesus Christ, and to seek and respond to personal revelation. Close quote. It takes all of those things for us to be humble. My prayer and plea for you as you start this new semester is that you choose to humble yourselves in all your endeavors, that you choose to be open to new ideas, including those that come by revelation, that you fully and accurately recognize your individual talents and potential as literal offspring of heavenly parents, that you recognize that same divinity in every other person with whom you interact, that you avoid contention, that you love and serve others, and most of all, that you come to know the Savior more by making time for him each and every day. As you do so, you will develop the powerful and exalting Christ-like characteristic of humility. And as a result, your life will be more full of joy. I so promise in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Recent Speeches podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts, including classic speeches taken from our vast audio library, as well as other BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith. Come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.